Hi, folks. I am Anna Kendig Flores, a teaching elder pastor in the PCUSA, which is the Presbyterian Church, and one of the co curators of the Anti Racism Spiritual Pilgrimage. And I'm Elsa Kendig, a ruling elder in the PCUSA and a public historian. So let's say a few quick things, Elsa, before we get down to the reason for this podcast. First of all, we are indeed sisters, even though Anna also uses both last names of our family of origin. Uh, also, we did not change our names after the Disney movie Frozen came out, and that is also true that we are neither of us Scandinavian in any way. But I am named after our Syrian and Lebanese great-grandmother. And I am named after my Mexican aunt. Finally, we are both big nerds about stuff like spirituality, history, and human transformation. But also about smaller things like permaculture gardening, mountain bikes, and finding good used bookstores. Right, so this gives you some insight into the really important and serious stuff that we are going to want to talk about together on this journey, like spirituality and history and transformation. But it also gives you a sense of the very human and very specific lenses that we bring to it, which is how all this work happens through each of us finding healthier ways to be ourselves in a messy world. The point of this brief podcast is to get you into the starting block, so to speak. And before you start thinking that this is a race or even a marathon, we want you to think of this as what we say it is, a spiritual pilgrimage. In other words, pace yourself. Don't run or you'll miss what's important. But also, why a pilgrimage? Like, why not a journey or a spiritual quest or something? Because pilgrimage is about dedication and practice. The whole point is to be changed in our relationships, not just to get a good workout. (laughs) Pilgrimage is about shaking up our routines, changing our patterns, seeing things afresh by challenging ourselves. This pilgrimage is about a conversation and a practice we need to have together as a community. And to do that, we need to find some common spiritual terms. So as we embark, let's start with this common term. We are journeying together on this pilgrimage, but we aren't going to call ourselves pilgrims, especially for those who are white journeyers. Right. I mean, it's really not needed. We can just say journeyers or travelers. Pilgrim is just like a really laden term in the U.S. context of racial history, and we can just leave it alone then. So fellow journeyers, Here's our first reminder to get you started. Do your work. And we are quoting Lauren Sanders here, a really awesome human and one of the BIPOC accountability partners on this pilgrimage. So let's say a little bit more about what that means. Doing your work means making a plan. Now, like if this were a traditional pilgrimage along the Camino de Santiago or something, where you had to plan plane tickets and lodging and start training for the moving and walking or outdoor time, you'd for sure be planning ahead. So treat this inward journey the same way. Pick the day or the days, the time and so on that you are going to commit to engaging with the content that will come in your weekly emails. Take it seriously, please, and plan for prayer or silence to open your time with the content and reflection to close it. And certainly, you know, give yourself a backup option and really try to stick to that one, if nothing else. (laughs) Then think of possible accountability partners or patterns. We'll build some into our journey and offer suggestions. But bottom line, you are the only one responsible for how you engage with this opportunity. So just skimming the surface is kind of a disrespect to the really powerful stories we're going to get into here. 
So take accountability seriously, both for yourself and for your own spiritual growth. And Elsa, as we both know, but just to be clear, that's not an intent to shame anyone into line. Yeah. White culture in particular has a tendency to think of things in terms of either or. Either I am doing a good job or a bad job. Either I am a good journeyer or a bad one. Yeah. But actually, the most important thing is to do your work by the grace of God. Right. So that idea kind of comes from this story that our our mom often tells us, which was how our great-grandmother, Marina, one of my other namesakes, that every time she would leave the house to go out into the world from her tiny little thatched house in northern Mexico, she would say as she stepped across the threshold to go out, en el nombre de Dios. Which is literally in the name of God. But more like, by the grace of God, here goes. Yes, that sort of dedication and faithfulness as we step out the door each day. So do your work in that spirit, which is one that understands that there are some weeks that we will need a little grace because something truly difficult happened. There's grace to be found for family emergencies or something of the sort that really needs to pull our attention. On the other hand, moving by the grace of God is not that very white characteristic of chronically under-engaging and then kind of always having some sort of an excuse. Like the person who always shows up at a book club about a very serious topic, but hasn't ever read the book. (laughs) We are all busy friends. You may feel busier than others because you have kids or elder parents or two jobs. There are always reasons, but there will always be another reason to not engage. And that's why calling this a priority in your life actually matters. And Elsa, as I think we would both agree, this isn't to minimize anything going on in people's lives either, of course. I mean, the first year we organized this pilgrimage, you were holding down three other jobs, and I was working in an acute mental health care facility as a chaplain during COVID. So we truly do understand the bandwidth issues and the exhaustion. But finding our fundamental why for this work, each of us, is what can keep us engaging even in the midst of life. And for you and I, despite the effort it took, we also found it incredibly life-giving and energizing too, right? Right, totally. What I also find fascinating about that, though, was that others who were on the journey told us the same thing, that, you know, it was enlivening them, despite the fact that it was sometimes serious content and a very messy world that we were journeying through together. So there are new wellsprings of energy and inspiration to be found here. It's not just, you know, quote unquote, work. (laughs) Okay, so we've spent a long time talking about what it means to do your work. And the bottom line is... Make a plan and try to stick to it. Remember grace, but don't mistake grace for white cultural norms. Right. And finally, none of this effort should be based in fear or performance or, you know, being afraid of being tested or something like that. Because there is no test. The world and the rest of your life is the space that will show the fruits of what you engage with here, just like the rest of us. Like with all pilgrimage, this is truly a choose-your-own-adventure journey. Second reminder, the 14 spiritual capacities. Many of you haven't seen them yet, but they will be at the top of every email and will sort of usher you in and help you engage the historical and cultural content that will also be a part of every email. 
I mean, can we just put a plug in here to just read the whole email, please? Not just the section with the links. And we don't mean that you have to sign up for every opportunity or read everything in the extras that we will call Stay Curious at the bottom of the email. But we are saying that if all that you are looking for is what you think will come up in conversation. All of it could come up in conversation, but it won't if you don't engage with it. So getting back to the spiritual capacities specifically, here's the thing. The spiritual capacities are actually the heart of this pilgrimage. Yes, to the history and to its critical importance, but if you don't engage with the spiritual capacities, you will not get what you need out of the rest of the content. One of the things that white supremacy culture steals from white people in particular is the capacity to take in and use knowledge in a healthy way. And that's something we'll touch on a few times and kind of go deeper with, Elsa, but more knowledge, more terms, more fancy frameworks or books by themselves won't help anything. So on this journey, you are being invited to engage on a human spirit level mm-hmm. to, to work some spiritual muscles that may feel a little strange. And to try to embody an approach to any knowledge, any information, anything interesting that actually allows you and all of us to take it in and metabolize it through our whole selves, not just like the brain's filing system. So just to repeat, if you don't engage with the spiritual capacities, you won't get what you need out of the rest of this pilgrimage into our history and the present moment. And we really want you to get what will push you forward in your anti-racism journey out of the rest of the content. All right, let's get really honest. This pilgrimage will be hard for you. Right. In fact, in all truthfulness, we kind of hope it will be hard for you. And, And that's not a cruel comment but a loving one. Right, because we are not talking about kind of a no pain, no gain, grit your teeth and bear it sort of pain. We're talking about the kind of ache and stretch, the awkwardness and the mistakes, the frustrations and the joys that come with genuine spiritual growth. And any of us who has done like real therapy work or healing work in our lives knows that this kind of deep spiritual work is hard. But just like with therapy or any other sort of growth, muscular or otherwise, what's hard will look different for all of us. Right. So we already talked a little bit about the challenges that will come with doing this work alongside the rest of our full to the brim lives. So for some of us, that might be the biggest challenge, staying focused and dedicated to digging deeper for the blessing in this work in the midst of what we might say are the distractions and the demands of our daily lives. For others, we may find that whatever reading or engagement we've had with anti-racism before we started this pilgrimage hasn't quite prepared us for the spiritual effort of staying in a challenging conversation for so long. We may find that fatigue or overwhelm comes quickly. If you're a man, or if you have generational wealth, or if you're heterosexual, you may find that there are other challenges for you here on these intersecting issues. Right. And as we know, we aren't going to lose track of the fact that race is the core of this conversation. But 
This is intersectional work with all of our many identities. It's not like race can be addressed in isolation from all the other parts of who we are. So for some of us, this may feel like a plunge into the deep end on a lot of levels. So knowing that, if you know that you're kind of earlier in your journey around anti-racism, we invite you to be vulnerable to ask for help from your white co-journeyers, to keep doing your own personal work, to make journaling an even bigger part of what you do. Go deeper into your own life of faith with prayer and practice around these things. Don't do less work because it's challenging. Try to lean in and do as much as you can. Finally, though this isn't an exhaustive list of the ways any of this might be a challenge. (laughs) Finally, you will have a certain kind of challenge If you feel that you've done a lot of anti-racism work in your life Mm -hmm. and sort of have it down, you may feel you have your, quote, good person credentials already, (laughs) even if you'd never normally name it to yourself that way. Well, we got to tell you, there are no credentials. (laughs) There's just this work of going deeper and finding that place where you need to challenge yourself, where the Holy Spirit is calling you deeper. And Elsa, I would have to say this is one of the places where I most often see white people who are trying to be anti-racist stumble the most because there is no finish line, no arrival point, and no credentialing for being an anti-racist person. That's why we call it anti-racist living. It's an action. It's not a statement of identity. (laughs) There is just getting out there and continuing to live it. And the gift of this pilgrimage is that it is a practice space. So if this is you, recognize that this is an ego narrative and just embrace the humility of getting in here with your fellow white people to keep learning and practicing. Right. And I think that's where the mutual accountability part of this pilgrimage comes in, right? Because for white people, that mutual accountability or that accountability comes in layers. The first layer is white people learning to hold each other accountable, not out of mutual competition or perfectionism, but out of love, mutual curiosity, dedication, and courage. Right. And then the second layer, white people as a whole cohort are able to get a gut check from anti-racist people of color. And those are the BIPOC accountability partners of this pilgrimage experience. And we'll share more about their leadership along the way. So in other words, we can't do this journey alone, much like actual pilgrimages, which are often done in pairs or groups. And even when there are solo pilgrimages, they and we are still surrounded by a cloud of people praying and sending good wishes. (laughs) Okay, so let's run through these reminders super fast. First, do your work, do your work, do your work, and make a plan now for how you want to do it spiritually and pragmatically. But let go of shame, competition, and perfectionism. Pay attention to the spiritual capacities as they are at the core of every other good thing you will get out of this experience. And embrace what's hard about this journey and lean on your faith practices and each other. You know, also, before we close, I just have to say that the whole time we were kind of putting together this podcast, the story of Jacob and the angel just kind of kept echoing and rattling around in my head. And for a privileged hearer of that story, one way to think of that story is to remember that his whole life, Jacob has been the guy who generally found a way to get out of the hard stuff and to get more than his due. Yeah. When you read that story, Jacob really doesn't come off as a 
particularly noble guy. Right. I mean, quite the opposite, actually. But I think in the Christian church, we have a tendency to make heroes out of a lot of the Old Testament figures because we sort of read it like it's adventure story plus morality tale. <laughs> with with a surprise Jesus twist at the end. <laughs> right. But the original hearers of this text, who would have been Jewish, wouldn't have per se thought of our Western Hollywood idea of a hero when they looked at Jacob. They would have seen another human, a legendary one, critical to their understanding of their identity and their faith in some ways, but with flaws and foibles and insecurities and even, yeah, mistakes and sins like the rest of us. So here are two questions to take with you as you read Genesis 32, verses 22 through 31. Take out your Bibles. (laughs) (laughs) How is Jacob's story in this passage a teaching story for people of privilege and power, especially when you think about the wider context of his life and what has brought him to this moment. And then, what blessing are you wrestling for as you start this journey? And are you ready to accept how you will walk differently forever after? More than anything, we send you with blessings as you prepare for this journey. And we look forward to the journey itself. See you on the road. Be well. (laughs) 